Father, we do uh, uh, ask that you would bless this time, Lord, and work in our hearts. Thank you for this time of the year that we can celebrate the fact that you came. And Lord, how amazing that is. And I do pray that as we, as we uh, just study your word and, and read about what was going on around everything around the time when you came and, and different parts of, of the country, different people's hearts, different things happening. Lord, I pray that we would understand that you work the same in every generation. And so bless this time, give us ears to hear, and Lord, just let it be a time where we can leave here tonight excited and more in love with our God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're gonna look at Luke, and I'm not gonna spend a ton of time introducing it because we could, we could go on and on and on. The interesting thing about Luke is he's the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. So he's not Jewish, he doesn't have a Jewish background, he's a Gentile, and it seems like, to me anyway, it seems like Luke was one of those guys who was a studier, who dug in, and according to, according to Colossians, uh, Paul says that he was a physician. So you have this guy that you know, is involved obviously in sciences and stuff, and he's got an agenda. When he got ready to write this letter and the book of Acts, he had an agenda, and his agenda was to give people the truth, to give people facts. And I kind of like that, that we understand we have somebody who did a lot of research before he wrote things down. And then what's kind of fascinating is if you take the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer, including Paul, unless you give Paul Hebrews. If you give Paul Hebrews, Paul passes them up. But depend on where you're at there. And so that's kind of, you know, to me, just fascinating about this individual. And it would be fun to do a long study. But we want to find out what he's writing about during this time. And again, the interesting thing is Luke is all about people, and places. He names more people than anybody else. He talks about places specifically more than anybody else. And then in chapters one and two, the only way he could have known what was going on in chapters one and two was because he had a good relationship with Mary. And that she gave him, this is information only Mary would know. And so again, Kind of fascinating. So it starts out, look at verse one. We'll kind, of, we'll kind of do one through four rather quickly, but we gotta read them. Inasmuch as many have taken a hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and minister of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now, listen, there's a lot, and we could spend a long time here, but just, I, I, I want to bring up a few things. Number one, that he was tedious about what he was writing. He was careful about what he was writing, and... Luke is saying you can know what I'm telling you not from some kind of mystical, woo, 
kind of stuff. And, and listen, you can know not just from, you know, prayer. You can know from facts. He's recording facts and he's giving facts. So he makes that and he says, listen, I talked to a lot of eyewitnesses. Once again, he wasn't an eyewitness. He did not walk with Jesus. He wasn't part of that whole time. And so he's gathering all these facts. He's putting them together. And then he says, listen, he says that he wants this Theophilus. We'll talk about him in a moment. But he says, listen, I want you to have a perfect understanding of all things from the very first. And he's getting it from eyewitnesses and ministers. I kind of like that idea. When he brings up ministers, he's not bringing up, you know, what we think of as ministers. He's saying servants. Eyewitnesses and servants. Now, the interesting thing about that word eyewitnesses is it's the word that we get autopsy from. That's kind of weird, huh? But here's what he's saying. I've looked deeply in the people I'm talking to. We're looking deeply into the matter. They knew the matter. So he wants Theophilus to know. Theophilus, listen, is, is some say Theophilus was more than likely uh, the one who, quote, owned Luke. Remember, in the first century, there were as many slaves as free men. And usually physicians were slaves. I think that's interesting, that doctors were, at that time, you owned your own doctor and probably got pretty good health care. But anyway, listen, most say that. But then there's those, listen, because Theophilus' name uh, means loved of God. And so some say, or lover of God, and some say basically He's writing to all lovers of God, not, so they're saying it's a literary Theophilus, lovers of God, rather than an individual. I think he was writing to an individual. I don't think he was kind of writing to lovers of God in general. So that kind of lays all that out. He wants them to know the certainty of those things in which he was instructed. So now we get into the narrative. Now we get into what was going on just prior to the birth of Jesus, what was going on in Rome? What was going on in Jerusalem? What was happening in the world that Jesus invaded? And I want us to understand something. Jesus came as the Messiah. He came to the Jews first. He came as that redeemer for them. We need to understand that. And Listen, if you don't get a hold of that, I think you, I think you kind of lose everything. And it bothers me when, when people try and fix Jesus and make him more palatable to whatever ethnicity they're part of. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus came for the Jews. He came as the Messiah, as the promised deliverer of the nation of Israel. Now the great thing is, he died for our sins. And he came and we get grafted into that. So, Think about that, and now it tells us, listen, Luke gives us a time frame. He says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and his wife was the daughter of Aaron, and, and her name, or was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we kind of get introduced. Time frame, Herod is king. Remember, Herod was not a Jew, Herod was from the lineage of Esau. He was an Edomian or, or Edomite, if you will. He was out of that, and he married into some of the royal family of the Jews, and 
he kind of practiced Judaism when he wasn't killing people and, and into that. And he was a horrible individual, but a, you know, they call him Herod the Great because he was a great builder, not because he was a great individual. So he's king and he's letting us know who's in, who's in authority and that's gonna come into play in our teaching tomorrow night, so you have to come back for that, right? And then over the weekend, we're gonna talk about this same guy. So kinda, or, or I'm sorry, on Sunday. So kinda giving you guys who come on Thursday night, you get something special. So Herod's introduced to us, but then he talks about this guy, Zecharias and Elizabeth. Something I think we should take note of is these are two people that you would have never heard of, ever, if this wouldn't have happened to them. They're kind of just ordinary people. Well, yeah, he's involved in the priesthood, but you need to understand something. At this time, there were 20,000 descendants of Levi alive serving as priests for Israel. 20,000, not just a couple, 20,000. And it was, listen, they had, they had 24 different divisions. Your family only got to serve at the temple once a year when it, when, when it was your family's time to go, your, your time. And then, and then they would draw lots for what you would do. And, you know, it's by chance, quote, all of this happened. It's interesting, right? You have this guy who's a descendant of, of uh, Levi, and then you have his wife who's a descendant of, of Aaron. And here they are. Listen, they're just doing life. They're people just like you and I. Yeah, they're involved, but they're just like us. They're not extraordinary individuals. They're not super people. They're just people who are doing what their position in life called them to do. And I kind of like that. Listen, I like that. But then it says this, verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances, and before the Lord, or the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Listen, these two wanted to serve God. And again, I think, just like us, right? We wanna walk with God. We wanna have a relationship with God. And we're walking, and we're doing life, and we're doing it the best. Listen, it says they were righteous. It doesn't say they were sinless, right? They're people who, they just wanna follow God. They wanna do the right thing, and they're, they're just going along. And then, here's the amazing thing. His family gets their time where they go to Jerusalem and they serve in the temple. Just think about that. You only got to do that once a year and for a couple weeks and that was it. And then you moved out and the next group came in and then they moved out and the next group came in. So he's there serving and they draw lots for who's gonna do what. So as he's serving, listen, oh, we gotta know a little bit more about him. Verse seven, it says, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So, so we kind of understand, right? Life's hard for them. Remember in that culture, if you were barren, you were looked down upon. And I think especially if you were barren as a descendant of Aaron, like that was, that was double bad, right? It's bad enough to be barren, but it's bad enough you're part of this, this, you know, in many ways, not royalty in the sense of ruling, but royalty in the sense of you're part of this dynamic priesthood and you're barren. This is not good for you know, future generations. So they're dealing with all of that. So kind of keep that in mind when you read because I think we read about these people and we kind of we put them in a place like we think, well, they must be special and super and et cetera. They're just people. 
They're having a hard time with life. And then verse eight says, so it was while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division. By the way, you can, for homework, you can read First Chronicles chapter 24 because I know you love reading Chronicles and you can kind of get the divisions of people. So he's in his division. And then it says, listen, as he's doing that, according to the custom of the priesthood in verse nine, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So listen, when they're talking about going in, he goes into the temple area. And as they're serving there, and again, they're serving, they're off doing offerings, they're doing all that, his lot gets drawn to go into the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but the holy place. Do you know these guys got to do that? Maybe once in a lifetime. Maybe. That was it. And think of how excited, now just stop for a minute and think about how excited he must have been when the lot fell, yes, woo, I get to go in. And he gets to burn incense. Now some of the people I read said that three guys would go in and one would stay after to do the special stuff of the incense. I don't know, it seems like, seems to me he was alone, according to the way Luke writes this. So maybe some others went in and left. I know somebody would have to go in and change a bread, and somebody would have to go in and trim the light to the, the wicks, and somebody, again, carrying in coals and stuff for incense. But nonetheless, his lot gets drawn. Here he is, I think, an older guy, I think he's kind of dancing on his way in, right? I think he's a little Pentecostal, a little bit loud. He's having a good time. Woo, woo, I get to do this, right? And it's got to be exciting. Listen, I think sometimes we, gotta, we get so chilled that we think, well, he just walked in and did his thing. Can you imagine in that generation? The lot falls to you? I mean, I think most of us, like, I've never won anything in my life. Well, I did. I won the draft, but other than that. I mean, I know you don't win things and like, yes, I got drawn. Yes. 20,000. One in 20,000 chances that you're going to get to do this in your lifetime. So you kind of get, you guys get a little bit excited. Come on. I know seriously, but yeah, okay, all right. We're ready, right? So listen, man, he gets excited and then it says, listen, so he did that verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So he goes in, everybody's outside, everybody's in this attitude of prayer. So maybe it did get kind of quiet. And he's in there and he's like, and, and so, you know, everybody's saying, nobody's been around, but everybody's saying like they, they put the coals down and then they kind of threw this incense and then, if you've been part of other kinds of churches, when they do incense, right? Some of them are so delicate. I, I think I've shared with you guys before, my brother and I were altar boys, big mistake, <laughs> right? We were not saved in any stretch of the imagination. And we were altar boys and the priest uh, that we went to the Orthodox Church, the priest spoke really broken English. And he was telling my brother and I that we needed to put, and, and it, he'd always say it this way, just a little bit of incense. So they had these round cakes. Some of you have been involved in those churches, have round cakes, and you're supposed to like quarter it or make it smaller and put a little bit. My brother and I would put the whole cake in there. And then we would blow on it and get it real smoky and then shut the lid. And the priest would go out, and I think this is what happened with him. The priest would go out and open it like smoke. 
And I think that's what, listen, I think that's what's going on here. He puts that incense on his, and there's all of this smoke and, and fragrance and, and how amazing it had to be. And listen, so as the smoke is rising and he, maybe he's going like this, I don't know. But it says, listen, it says in verse 11, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Wow, that's a lot of detail, right? Like he's standing on the right side. Now, I'm not gonna make a big deal out of that. You can if you want, but I'm not going to. He's, he's like, and so just imagine like, like you, you throw that on there, and then you're going, oh, how he, now your heart is like really going, right? Listen, people didn't see angels all the time. It wasn't one of those common things that we kind of pretend. Man, he had to be freaking out as he saw this angel. And the angel then, the angel engages with him, right? And it's, I'm sorry, verse 12 says, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. So yeah, I bet, huh? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. So have you ever noticed in scripture, every time an angel shows up, the angel has to say, don't be afraid. Why? Because people are afraid, right? He's like freaking out. And then here's the interesting thing. He says, he says, the angel says, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. What do you think he was praying? If he's in there serving, what do you think he was praying? A lot of people say he was probably praying for his son. I don't think he was, listen, I don't think he was self-centered at the time when you're serving in, in, a, in a temple. And what was the need of the world at that time? Peace. What do you think he was praying for? I think he's praying for the Messiah. And he's praying that the Messiah would come. And this is what I love about this portion of scripture. You see, this is all about the coming of Jesus. And you have the beginning here, the very beginning of a view of what was happening in the world and the people involved and every, listen, every little detail, that's what's great about Luke. You have this guy who's there praying and, and here's, what the, here's what the angel said. Your prayers are answered. You don't have to be afraid. Your prayers have been heard and your prayers have been answered. I don't know about you guys, but number one, I, I know if an angel showed up, I would freak out too. But I would really love an angel to come by and say, hey, Pat, your prayers are being answered, right? I mean, sometimes, because sometimes we feel like our prayers aren't answered, but they are. It's the answer's no, and we don't like that. But listen, wouldn't it be good to hear that audible, man, here's an angel, and he shows up. Oh, by the way, when this angel breaks the silence, do you know that God has not spoken to the nation for 400 years? It's been 400 years. And God's not spoken. It doesn't mean people weren't praying and, and interacting, but God had not spoken through anybody to the nation, and I, I think this is to the nation, for 400 years. And he sends, I did read ahead, he sends this guy Gabriel. Do you know the last time Gabriel did anything biblically was 500 years ago as he's talking to Daniel? And what did he talk to Daniel about? I don't know. You have to read it in Daniel chapter 9. <laughs> what did he talk to Daniel about? I'll give you a hint. Messiah. 
See, Gabriel was all about announcing the Messiah. So he says, hey, your prayers have been answered. Listen, and he says, your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, that's where a lot of people listen. I think a lot of people are saying, that's why he was praying for a son, because he says, hey, he tells him, your prayers have been answered, and your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And, and listen, it's interesting that even God named Zechariah's son. I don't think that's what he was praying for. I think here's what he's telling him. The beginning of the coming of the Messiah starts with John. Well, technically, starts with Zechariah offering up incense. But he makes this announcement. Now, I find it kind of interesting as he makes this announcement and he says, your wife's going to not be barren anymore, right? She's gonna have a child. Again, I think you would wanna like dance a little bit, be a little bit happy, right? A little bit stoked, you're, you're on in years and something you least expect is now gonna happen, right? Good news, that's really good news. And he says, you shall call his name John, verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, listen, this has got to be like a little bit overwhelming when people are telling you something about this child that you always kind of wanted, but you never really thought you were going to have, and now he's telling you all of this stuff is going to happen. Oh, and better than that, verse 15, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will, well, I'll, I'll read the rest in a moment, but listen, all of this stuff, imagine getting all that information. This is your son, and this is what's going to happen to him, and listen, he's going to be a Nazarite, right? He's not going to drink any strong drink. Remember the Nazarite vow. And who else had a Nazarite vow? This guy in the old, yeah, someone said it, right? Who's that other guy? Samson. Wasn't Samson kind of a miraculous birth? Weren't they old? Kind of out of it? Miraculous birth? So like, this isn't like the first time God has worked in this way. And he says, listen, he's gonna be a Nazarite from birth. He's not gonna have any strong drink. And, and uh, you know, then he's gonna serve the Lord. And then the part I love the most, he's gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Now, if you come tomorrow night, we'll hear something about this guy. But that's what's going on. Imagine getting all of that information. Now you're feeling pretty good, right? You're thinking, yeah, man, I am so glad I offered incense today. Or how about this? I'm so glad I showed up to serve the Lord today. Hmm. You see, oftentimes I think we miss out on things because we don't put ourselves in a position to realize those things. And so here he is, he's put himself in a great position. It's like, yeah, it's like fun time, right? And he's gotta be excited and then, listen, then verse 16, he says, and he will turn uh, many children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Oh, by the way, do you know who him is? 
Him is the Messiah, right? He will go before the Messiah in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's quoting 400 years ago, Malachi chapter four. So he's telling him, Malachi chapter four, the very last words that God spoke to the nation are about to be fulfilled now. Woo, yeah. Now, it's gotta be like, it's gotta be amazing to be part of that. And what does our friend Zechariah do? He stays in freak mode. What does he do? Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced of years. Oh, Zechariah, Zechariah. Dude, you know your Bible. You know about Isaac. You know about Samuel. You know about Samson. Why would you doubt? Why would you doubt? And I think, like a lot of us, this can't be happening to me. I believe sometimes the Lord puts things in front of us and we don't feel ourselves worthy of doing that. This can't be happening to me. So we sort of back off and we shrink away and this can't be, not for me. It can happen to anybody else, but it's not me. And he goes, listen, I'm an old man. Isaac, Samuel, Samson. Think about it. Doesn't matter how old you are. And he says, so he's doubting God. Any of us ever doubt God? Don't raise your hands. And I think we need to be careful. Listen, doubting God's not just, you know, some people always say, how sinful to doubt God. We all doubt God at times. And I think our doubt can make our faith stronger if we work through the doubt and we work through those situations. So here he is, ah, how can this happen? Now, secondly, I also want us to know something. He says kinda, I don't think this is gonna happen. I'm gonna translate it this way. I don't believe you and I don't believe this can happen. Do you know that God fulfilling scripture and fulfilling his promises is gonna get done with or without us? We can doubt, we can refuse, but the only thing that happens is we lose, not God. It's not like we do this and God goes, goes my whole plan. I was counting on you and you're not gonna do it, so I, I'm washed up. He's still gonna do it, right? So Zechariah, now, here's what's kind of funny. Zechariah, God's gonna fix them. Verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel. Now, I kind of like that. I kind of get it this way. Dude, I'm Gabriel. Like he's going, how can this be? I'm Gabriel, why would you even ask me that? Wouldn't you know who I am? It's kind of like, don't you think it's like that? I don't think he's just going, I'm Gabriel. I think he's going, I'm Gabriel. Who's the one who talked to Daniel? Come on. And he's telling him. So he lets him know who he is and he says, listen, he says, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, 
you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own times. Oh, oh, ay, 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 ay. Now, what a lot of us don't know is the guy who went in and did the incense was supposed to offer a prayer, do the incense, come out, and then pronounce a blessing upon the people. Hmm. Well, Zechariah, guess what, man? You're gonna play games? You're not gonna be able to talk for nine months. You're not gonna be able to speak to people. What a drag, especially, especially if that's what you do for a living. Like, I, I was reading... Chuck Swindoll in this passage, and, and Chuck Swindoll was saying, he can't imagine anything worse than God coming to him saying, you're gonna be mute. And, you know, because it's what you do, right? And Zechariah was kind of part of that, although he wasn't just a preacher, but listen, man, you're not gonna be able to speak. That had to be pretty horrific for him. Process that again. Remember, these are normal people. They're just like us. They're doing life. God gives him some phenomenal news. He pushes it back and God says, okay, I will give you time to think about it. So you're just not gonna talk for a while, bro. Right? Gabriel says, you're just not gonna be able to speak. Those things aren't gonna happen. <laughs> I read that and I think, ay, 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 ay. And he says, oh, but it's gonna happen when, uh, when these words are fulfilled in their own time. For homework, not right now. You can look ahead at the end of chapter two and you can read where where he does speak. I'm sorry, at the, at the end of chapter one. You can read, he finally, it comes through. Well, do you remember it's when they go to circumcise John and Elizabeth said his name's John? And they go, you're out of your mind. Nobody in your family's called John. Why do you want to name him John? What's the matter with you? And they look at his father and they're waiting for his father to do sign language. John, thank you. So we're waiting for him. <laughs> Perfect. We didn't practice, did we? No. We ad-libbed that and we did good. You did good. So, so they're, wait, they're waiting for him, they're waiting for Zechariah to do something and he goes, his name is John. Now imagine you're mute for nine months and then you go, excuse me, his name is John, right? So it kind of gets the point across. So now back to this. So I gave you a little bit going forward. And so it says in that verse 21, and the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. So I get the idea, listen, there's a little bit outside in the, in the temple area. They're going, where's John? Or, I'm sorry, where's Zechariah? I don't know, what's he doing in there? Think he died? Like what happened to him? Like he hasn't come out. Like the, and we saw the smoke. The smoke's kind of cleared. Like what is that guy doing in there? Did he get lost? There's only one room. I mean, think about, think about how you would feel. What, what happened? I mean, there's some anticipation, right? And again, don't, see, we read these things like, oh, uh, they were just going, huh, wonder where John is. 
Now they're freaking out a little bit, right? I wonder where he is, what's going on? And then it says, listen, it says verse 22, but when he came out, he could not speak to them. So he's coming out going, yeah, I don't know what he's doing. He's, how, how would you say I can't speak to them? Okay, that's what he was doing. Good. I, perfect, Lisa. Thank you. So, this is when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned them and remained speechless. So, somehow he's communicating. I don't know what he's saying, but he's like letting them know, man, I saw something that is insane. So, you kind of get that idea. Now, that's for all the people. Now, he's got to go and hang out with, remember Elizabeth. Huh. If you can't talk, how do you communicate this to your wife? Right? Maybe through writing or whatever. Normal people, right? So verse 23, as soon as the days of his service were completed, he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Oh. I'm curious why she hid for five months. Some people say she hid for five months because she didn't want people to know she was pregnant. Well, you show the most after five months, not before, right? Right, like, you know, you start, well, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> so you start showing at a certain point and, and listen maybe even before five months but when early on you're not showing so I don't think that was it I think she got alone to try and process all that was happening I believe somehow Zecharias was able to communicate with her and remember he could still write so I believe he communicated with her Everything that the angel, you don't forget things like that. You hang out with Gabriel for a little while, you're never gonna forget that. You're gonna write down everything he said. You didn't even need, listen, you didn't even need to record his voice. You know, and you're telling her everything. Hey, we're gonna have a son. You and I are gonna have a son. And our son is gonna be the joy of many. And he's gonna be the one who goes before him in the power of Elijah. Imagine that, moms. He's going to go before him. And he's going to be a Nazarite. He's not going to drink any strong drink. And he's going to be this powerful, powerful move in the nation of Israel. And honey, we're going to name him John. That's what we're going to call him. Wow. And Elizabeth goes, okay. Let's do this. And now you have two ordinary people who become two extraordinary people. And God does a mighty thing because of them. Listen to this. David Guzik wrote this. I kind of like this. If there is no Zacharias, then there is no John the Baptist. And if there's no John the Baptist, there's no herald announcing the coming of the Messiah. And if there's no herald announcing the coming of the Messiah, the prophecies of the, in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah are unfulfilled. 
And if any of the prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the first coming of the Messiah are unfulfilled, then Jesus did not fulfill all things. And if Jesus did not fulfill all things, then he did not complete God's plan of redemption for you and I, and we must perish in our sins. This was good news. Think about, think about how individuals are key players in the plan of God who never had any idea that they were so crucial in fulfilling the plan of God. And all they were doing was life. But they were doing life loving God. I think that's so great for all of us to remember as we walk through life. He's going to use us and we have no clue to what degree or what depth he's gonna use us. So tomorrow night, we'll see how Mary acts with all of this and what happens to her. Let's stand up and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for recording this for us. And Lord, I know for a lot of us, we've read Luke hundreds of times. We've looked at this passage. And I pray that it becomes still that encouragement for us in our relationship with you. That we would remember that you use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that we would gladly yield ourselves to you and to your plan. So as we get ready to celebrate in the next few days the actual birth of Christ and gather with family and friends, gather with the church, do some praying and some worshiping, God, I pray, and as we end this year and begin a new year, I pray you would give us vision and direction and draw our hearts close to your heart, God. Make us to be like Zecharias and Elizabeth, people walking with their God, and maybe even greater than that, people enjoying their God. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in that attitude of prayer for a couple more moments and if you are here tonight, perhaps somebody invited you tonight, you came with somebody, or maybe you're even somebody, you've come here for a long time. And God just moved on your heart tonight in a special way where you came to realize you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You realize you've never asked him to forgive your sins and to come into your life. You've never asked him to guide and direct you. Hey, if I'm speaking to you tonight, then you know what? Come to Jesus. Tonight is the night to do that. Make that, make that quote, leap and ask him to save you. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to change your heart. So if you wanna do that, I'm gonna say a prayer. And you can say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently. If you're backslidden, come home, man. Come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can say the prayer right in your home. You don't have to be here. Call on the name of the Lord. Tonight, let tonight be the time where your life is forever changed. 
Jesus, tonight I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now I'm asking you to come into my heart and I want you to change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Tonight I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.